Michael Yo's got his own show. Michael Yo's got his own show. If you're looking for a place to go, the only place to go is the Yo Show. The only place to go is the Yo Show. Play us in, sir. Play me something. Play me something good. You want a theme song? Sure. You're about to make up a theme song on the spot? Okay, here we go. It's the Michael Yo Show. Coming at you right now is the Michael Yo Show. We're going to do it live somehow is the Michael Yo Show. If he's a no show, if he's a no show, there ain't going to be a Michael Yo Show. Yeah. Is that that short enough? Is that long enough? No, that that was great. There you go. But I got to be honest. I got to be honest. A lot of people are going to hear it and go, you know, Dennis, you just copied kind of the Dave Chappelle show. Is that the exact same intro? You've never seen the intro? I've I've never seen the intro for that show. Oh. Maybe, maybe. Well, if you've never seen it, then you didn't copy it. Maybe I'm I'm a genius also. You are a genius. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, Dennis. uh, I met you here at the Comedy Cellar. You are a genius. Good plug, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the sign is behind you. The sign is behind you and the dancers. Our our engineer is walking around looking stressed (laughs) and sweating. Are you okay, Brian? That's his job. Okay. You know, I mean, have you ever seen a producer more stressed out? No, I have not and uh and i i i did the tomorrow show with tom snyder that guy was pretty stressed out but this guy you know you're gonna drop a lot of names that i don't know because you know know, i'm learning about i I don't want to call old school (laughs) that's okay brian just moving my mic man (laughs) this this engineer slash producer slash producer is everything over here he does it he's a utility he's a utility man he is he does it all he is so you said what what snyder did you say tom snyder was the show that used to be on after the uh johnny carson tonight show Johnny Carson was the host of the Tonight Show. Well, I know that. Okay, okay. I just, but I'm but just you're explaining checking. for people that yeah, don't yeah, know, though. Exactly. This is good. This is education. Okay. And after and after the uh, Tonight Show uh, was the Tomorrow Show. They needed to. They used to have uh, reruns of old movies and after Johnny, but then they decided to uh, put in Tom Snyder, who what 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 a voice like this, and he, and he would sort of he would sort of ask questions like that. And he had the, the great thing about him was he would laugh at something his guests said, and then he would just stop laughing. It would be like Michael, you'd say something funny to me, and I'd go. <laughs> Anyway, so what do you do when you do your comedy? So it's you like do when that. you're on stage. Yes, yes exactly. It's like people laugh and then go yes. next. Yes, there's like a noise gate on my laugh. <laughs> like that. Just like yes, that. Exactly just, right. Just like that. Just like so that. that's why I love Tom Snyder because he reminded me of me. So you never were on Tom Snyder. I did the first live tomorrow show. Did you really? How, how'd you get booked on that? Uh, they, they came to see me at Caroline's, which at the time was on 8th Street in New York City. And the people from the Tomorrow Show were looking for because Tom was going to do his first live show. He was always doing it in studio, but like like a like a Charlie, uh, what's that guy's name? The guy who got in trouble. Anyway, it used to be no audience. He was going to have his first live audience, so he they booked me on that show as the as the first comic. And I and and, and how to go for you? It it went well actually. Now, did your career because back then, I mean. Johnny Carson, 26, 30 million people. Approximately. Tomorrow's show, what was the audience like? I would assume it was a drop-off because it was on of at, course, but was on 1 o'clock. Yeah. So I would think. I but don't know. But, but still, still larger than late night today with 3 million or yeah, 2 million. Yeah, and it was large enough for Dan Aykroyd to do an impression of, uh, on SNL, to do an impression of Tom Snyder, which was, would, see, there you go. So, so did, did um, a lot of comics 
you know, when they did the Johnny Carson show and things like that, they their phone started ringing the next day with a bunch of tour dates. Did that happen to you on the Tomorrow Show? This did not. As a matter of fact, I thought this was going to be it for me. This is mm -hmm. my big break. I did the Tomorrow Show. And it's the first one. Yes. And, you know, people watched it. And I'm, now I'm walking around the streets of Manhattan the next day and no one's recognizing me. And I'm going and I'm waiting for phone calls. One comic called me. Stu Trevax, who had this really high-pitched voice, going, hey, I saw your show last night. It was like, almost like Conan. <laughs> it was like, you know, and I said, okay, thanks. And that was it. That was the only phone call I got. They're walking around, no one. And finally, someone is like staring at me, and I'm going, here it is, here it, here is. it is. And he comes up to me, he goes, what does your T-shirt say? Because I can't read the lettering. It was like this weird. And I know, I know uh, the mentality of a comic is after yeah. you do a late night show or Ooh. any type of show, you want to go out <laughs> yeah. and you want to get your praise a from random bit. people that yeah. it's kind of like the Twitter of Instagram before Twitter yes. and Instagram. You wanted yes. that those random people to come up to you and tell you they love you. Would have been nice. Yeah. But so, no. so how'd you get into comedy? Well, this, uh, my career is an accident. Okay. Um, I was a musician, singer. Bars, bands, singing okay. in bands, cover songs, songwriter, trying to do that. That wasn't happening. Was playing in a bar one night and nobody's listening, as usual, which is their right. They're there to drink, not listen to the guitar player singer. I get really pissed off. I'm like, these people don't appreciate me. Kind of like the Tomorrow Show. Um, I go up and I just, I'm stomping around and I say, I'm going to write a big song that time was uh, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Yes. I'm going, I'm going to write a parody for this and see if it goes over. So I go, I write the parody for the Bee Gees song, Staying, Staying Alive, and my parody's called Singing Too High. I go down, I do, my, I do my James Taylor song, and then I do my Paul Simon song, Nobody's Listening. I, I, then I launch into the Bee Gees song, and people all of a sudden, it's quiet, and then like, I hear, <laughs> what, those aren't the words. <laughs> people are starting to pay attention. I'm going, ooh, I think I may be on to something. Bee Gees were great. Which, uh, the Bee Gees were great because they had two separate careers. Like before disco, they had those great voices that were like, they, I'm going. <laughs> like Chipmunks on Valium. Remember those days? And then they went disco. Well, you can't tell by the way I wear my pants that I am a guy. I don't take no chance. But when I sing, I sound so dumb, like I've just been snorting helium. But it's all right, I can't win. I sound just like Tiny Tim. Long as I don't hurt no one, singing like a girl is fine. Nobody today can tell what I'm saying, because I'm singing too high, singing too high. My career is something, but I can get a woman, because I'm singing too high, singing too high. Jeez, there we go. Did more of those than some developed some patter in between. Got a little act. So was parody songs, was there a person that was big doing them at your time? Or would you say like you were the first person you heard do parody songs? No, the first person I heard do parodies was Alan Sherman. Do you know what the, you know no. that name? Alan Sherman had a big hit with a song called Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. Oh. <laughs> Hello Mudda, Hello, Hello Fada. Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Yeah. But, but he did it to an old classical piece. So I, I didn't know of anybody else that was doing it to like modern songs, but I don't know. I, I could have been wrong, but I think I was one of the first relatively alone. Yeah. yeah. And so I took my little and then we moved into Manhattan. I was living in Long Island at the time. I was four blocks away from Dangerfields. They say, hey, they have an open mic night. Why don't you go? And I did. And how was your open mic night? The open mic went really well because I don't know what it was, but that particular night 
people just didn't like the acts. They had like, I don't know, jugglers and ventriloquists and people were just getting bored. So they put me up at finally like one in the morning. I got there at 10 at night. They put me up three hours later. And for some reason, it just clicked with that audience. That so I, you had your, did you do Singing Too High? Yes. Oh, yes. That's okay. what I did. I did Singing Too High in my little bits and maybe another couple. Then I asked them for requests. Nothing much has changed in my life. No, not at all. Because I, I, I've seen you before, and I'm like, oh, you're doing the same thing. I'm doing the exact thing. same I'm thing. Yes. No, I'm not. No, no, no. You must grow as a comedian? Not me. <laughs> no, I like to stay stagnant. That's my watchword. Um, so, yeah. So when you when you did Dangerfields, so you weren't past at any of the clubs at that time? Or no, were you? no. I okay, so this was, your, this was your moment to shine. Yeah. You got in Dangerfields. I'm sure they passed you right away. They, it wasn't even it wasn't even like a pass. It was like uh -huh. we just opened my. I don't know what they did with the other open micers, but right away they said, "Would you like to open for Jackie Mason next week?" Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason. Okay. And I said, "Let me think about it." Well, I usually match my socks on Monday. You know what? I can move that to the weekend. Yes, I okay. accepted immediately. Do, what do you? Was there ever a time? Because when I first, I've only been in comedy ten years. You've been in nice. 35, 40 years. Yes. Okay. So when I got in uh, just ten years ago. Comedians that don't use instruments kind of look down on comedians that used instruments because they thought, it was, yeah, it's kind of cheating. Mm -hmm. Now it's kind of back to leveled out where mm -hmm. if you're talented, you're talented. Whatever makes people laugh makes people laugh. Mm -hmm. How was it back then? You're right. I mean, back then I felt there was a couple, not many, but there were a couple of monologists who kind of looked down on me, and I still have that in my head today. It's like, and you're right. I don't, I don't find as much of it today at all. I mean, I'm finding like, oh, yeah, I think. People are pretty accepting. You know, you use what you can. Yeah. You know? um, and that's, that's all I know how to do. But, yeah, in those days there were a, f a couple of comics and a couple of relatively big names today that would kind of – I would get a feeling – they wouldn't say anything specifically, but I'd get a feeling like, no, oh, he's a guitar guy, you know. Oh, yeah. Things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it stung, you know, but I said, you know. This well, did any of them confront you ever? No. Okay. No, but it was like I could just tell and then I'd hear – things from people yeah well you know he doesn't think that much of you and that kind of thing luckily it wasn't too many you know because i had enough stuff in between the songs too it wasn't just the songs and then i started developing more stand-up uh and so it got to a point where i could do like oh i could do like half an hour relative stand-up so do you remember the first time you headlined headlined yeah well, yes. Well, Dangerfields. Dangerfields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you had your you did one night by yourself. Yeah, so you were so the one week with Jackie Mason. Then Rodney came in the next week, and I had I opened for him. And then, you know, when they didn't have, when I got strong enough, when I got like forty five minutes, they said you want to do a week. So that was that was Dangerfields. Okay, so when Rodney comes in, yes, how was that? Were you nervous? I didn't know because I didn't know he was there. So I'm I'm on the show, I'm on the I'm opening for Jackie. Mason. Uh-huh. He came in like the last five minutes of the show I was doing, and it was going well. <laughs> I come, he didn't know who I was. I'm going, who's this guy? I come off stage. He goes, hi, I'm Rodney. Hi, Rodney. I'm Dennis. He goes, yeah, they, they obviously like what you do. What do you do? Because <laughs> he had only seen like five minutes of it. So I told him, yeah, I do parodies, and I do some jokes, and I do some stand-up, and I'm going to watch your next show. So he watched the second show, and he really liked it. I'm going, good, Rodney likes me. Uh, and then he had me open for him the next week. And how big was Rodney at that time? Rodney at that time. Wait, what year? This was 1979, the end of 79. Uh -huh. Jeez, I've been doing this a long time. Um, so he hadn't done Caddyshack yet. Okay. And that's the thing that kind of blew him up. Completely blew him up. So what year was Caddyshack? Caddyshack was 1980. Oh, so like a year off. My timing couldn't have been better. 
Yeah. Not even a year. I mean, it came out, I think maybe the spring of 1980. So, you know, the very end, the very tail end of 79 is when I got the gig at, at Dangerfields. And, and Caddyshack came out. He went from selling out maybe 60 people a night, even though he was known. Yeah. He wasn't like a superstar. Caddyshack, forget it. Lines around the block. He would say, oh, I'm going to quit. I can't afford myself anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Huge. And he starts doing these 3,000-seat theaters, Westbury Music Theater, th theaters in the round. Uh, and he goes, do you want to open for me? I'm going, what? How is this happening? I couldn't have planned this. How, lo how long were you in comedy before Dangerfield asked you to tour with him? Uh, three months. Three months? Yeah. Oh, comics must have hated you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you must have been the most hated man in the world. Today, I still am the most hated man in the world. No, I, I mean, I don't know if they, you know what? It was almost like, like I said, those few that didn't like the fact that I used the guitar and they felt it was unfair or whatever. But I never got any feeling if they hated me because, I don't know, I kind of like fit in with them. You know, I got along with everybody, so. Do you feel but, like your act, since it was so different than stand-up, like as far as Rodney's stand-up, yeah. he liked that balance? Yes. Because what I could, what I, 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 my, most, most of my career has been as, a, as an opening act. And I think, and, and for comics a lot, because I get the audience up, get them laughing, but it's nothing like what they do. And you don't step over their material. Right, right. right. Ever. So it's, you know, it's a goofy guy with a guitar, and you interact with yeah, yeah. Then they're, they got the energy, and then they come out to that. So, so most of the time. So how long did you go out on the road with Rodney? Rodney was two, no, uh, three years, three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. Did now, did he travel overseas to do stuff as no, well? No, we never went overseas. Just, just the States, Canada. That was it, United States and Canada. Best experience on the road. Do you remember oh, like man. something that just really stands out? You know, it's so funny. I remember... You always remember the bad ones, right? You always remember the horrible shows. Yeah. And there were those, absolutely. You've had, you had those, because the crowd was just there to see him. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that was the thing. with uh, Rodney developed my muscles, because his audience was so rabid that even if you had billing as an opening act, which you didn't always, lights go down. Rodney! Come on, Rodney! Who's this idiot walking to the mic? Why does he have a guitar? Who is this moron? And I come out, and they don't know who I am, and I'm getting, boo, where, get off, before I even start. Oh, So you really? have to be funny real fast, which is why I had the parody ready. And then they went, oh, that's really What's okay. the first thing you came out to? Uh, first thing I came out, at the time, there was a big faction of people who hated disco music. I mean, uh -huh. hated disco music. And my first line when I got to the mic would be, hey, this looks like a disco crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was... Fearless in those days, or yeah. stupid, one of those two things. Even a bigger boo. So I like to do a little song by your favorite crew, the Bee Gees. You suck, where's Rodney? Do this, and then they realize, oh, he's making uh, fun of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then usually it was off and running, but you know. So, so, you know what I what I notice about musicians when they do stand up in comedy, if a song isn't going well, it's kind of you got to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I don't see, like, I, I haven't seen you or, like, I have a Chris Newberg is another guy. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of people that sing mm -hmm. in their act, but they kind of finish the song. They never bail out. Right. Of the song. Why is that? Uh, well, I mean, I love guys that commit like that. I mean, like, you know, on SNL, when a guy like, when a guy like Will Ferrell just commits, I mean, yeah. you know, would do, or any of those guys, any of the cast members when they don't, you know, break. When the bit's not going great. Yeah. yeah. I love those guys. That, I mean, that's, that's great. You know, me, my parodies are short for a reason. Mm. <laughs> I, do like, I do two lines and get out. 
and get out. Yeah, and uh, and also with a song, if you if you're treating a song as a joke and you do a long song, you're going to get to a chorus, and the chorus is probably going to say the same thing, and that's they heard that already. Yeah. So why not just do like a short musical one liner or two liner, and just get the laugh and then get off. How did you treat? Touring with Rodney, because as an opening act, like I tour with Joe Coy. I mean, mm -hmm. dude is huge right now. Yes. And you kind of, I feel like at times walk on eggshells because you don't want to get in their way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you want to be, I don't want to say friends, but you want to be close enough to them right. where they can trust you. Yeah. As I say, you just don't want to do your show and disappear. Because okay. we like, you know, because I feel like a lot of comics bring people that they get along with, that yeah. they can bounce each other, uh, ideas off of each other. Right. But you don't want to be like over the top in their face all the time. How do you, how do you balance that? Um, because so many, I mean, we're going to yeah. get to it, but we're going to talk and George Carlin took sure. you out. Joan Rivers took you out. So you must have had something you did that didn't annoy them, but they like to have you around. Well, here's the, well, are you, are you, would you consider yourself close with, with Coy? Or oh just yeah. Kind of I, I like, I'm very close to him. Okay. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, Rodney was my first experience as an opener. And so, you know, I was inexperienced. I'm going, how should I, how do I do this? The thing is with Rodney, he like, Rodney would, if he liked you, he loved you. It was, there was no- it No was, middle ground. Mid, uh, take you under his wing, mentor, like a father figure. He also liked what I did. I mean, besides the fact that it was parodies, but you know, he, the whole thing, he thought it was, thank God, he thought it was clever and, and he, he liked my writing. So, which is why not only did we become close and I made him laugh and we just got along. Yeah. But also he liked the writing. That's why he told me, I. After Caddyshack, he said, they want to do a movie starring me. So if you come up with an idea for a movie for me, let me know. Now, I'm doing comedy at this point five months. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a guitar player in a bar. <laughs> now Rodney Dangerfield is saying, yeah, if you come up with an idea for a movie, <laughs> I'm going, what the hell happened to me? And I wasn't even looking for this. I run home. I, I'm pacing my, I live four blocks away. I pay, I'm pacing my apartment going, and I finally came up with an idea because Rodney had a had problems with substances and smoking and drinking. And so I said, what if I come back to the club? I said, what if you play a guy whose mother-in-law hates you? She dies. And in her will, she says, you get $10 million if you give up smoking, drinking, and gambling for one year. And he loved the idea. So that's, that's how the professional stuff started. And what was the name of that movie? Easy Money. Easy Money. Yeah. Easy. Now, how did that do in the box office? You know what? It was one of those deals where it didn't do great, but now I swear to God, it's like a cult of a favorite. Yeah. People come up to me, go, "Did you you wrote that? That's my favorite movie." It's like it's a Wonderful Life or something. You know, it's like it how? Uh, so what is? Uh, because did you write the movie yourself? How how did it work out? Did you sit down and write it all? Or did they bring in a bunch of writers? How the whole thing happen? Funny story number one. Uh huh. He gets two writers. P.J. O'Rourke, do you know him? No. P.J. O'Rourke is a satirist. He's written books. Uh, you might have seen him on Bill Maher and stuff. He's, okay. Yeah. You know his face. Okay. Very good writer. Uh, he and the husband of Rodney's manager wrote the first draft. Rodney calls me up about a month or two later after he gets the first draft. He goes, I just read their script. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, I want to send this over to you. I want you to tell me what you think. I think it's a piece of shit. I go, all right. He sends me the script. I read it. And it's obviously a first draft. It's okay. It needs work. 
I call him back. I go, Rodney. Okay, first of all, let me. Yeah. I, I got to stop you there. Yeah. What makes you have all this expertise? Where he's like, I want you to look at the. Did you ever Nothing. write anything before? No. Nothing. <laughs> no. Okay. Songs. He just. He saw. <laughs> I was a songwriter. That's which what I, means you should be able to write a movie. Of course, that <laughs> translates perfectly. Yes, right. I, I'm a pipe fitter, so you should be able to uh, make a pool. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So. I just thought there was something missing. No, that, he, he just okay. liked the way I wrote for my and the way you thought and yeah. the way I made him laugh. So he says, I want you to look at it. Just, he just said, T tell me what you think of it. I read it. Like I said, first draft, I call him up. Yeah, it's, it's not great, but it's, it's, it needs work. He goes, that's what I thought. It's a piece of shit. He hangs up. He calls up his manager, whose husband is one of the writers, says, Dennis agrees with me. <laughs> he thinks it's a piece of shit. This is unbeknownst to me. <laughs> he says to the manager, I want Dennis as one of the writers on this movie. I'm sitting at home going, hey, I'm watching TV. Hey. Hello? Yeah. Hi, Rodney. Yeah, you're one of the writers. What? So he made me a writer. I go to his apartment where we're having our first uh, rewrite session. The two guys come in. They're glaring at me. I have no idea why. They obviously, he obviously told them, Dennis thinks your, your script is a piece of shit. Three weeks later, somehow it come out, came out. We went to a bar, and I said, no, I never said that, and we were all friends from then on. But that's what happened. And for two years, we sat around Rodney's table writing and rewriting. And Was wrong. Rodney a part of that? Or? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The thing with Rodney is he didn't understand how a situation could be funny. If it didn't have a joke joke in it, like a one-liner, uh -huh. he, he didn't think it was funny. Michael, the other writer for the movie, took him to see Tootsie, the movie, which was very big at the time. People are, he said, people around us were dying laughing. They're doubled over. And Rodney's turning to me going, it's not funny, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's no joke. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was so his concept. So when you said, let's, let's go back. When you said Rodney felt like every scene needed a joke in it, mm -hmm. which, which means like, like just a one-liner yeah. in every scene. Okay. She was ugly. I tell you, you know, one of those things. You have to fit gotcha. them in somehow. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. How long, so it took two years to write that two script? Years. Two years. And y'all were still touring at the same time? Yes. Yeah, but not as much. But you know, we but night and day, we'd be at his house and uh, and just trying. It was a, it was a weird balancing act between, you know, there were scenes we had which we thought would be great for him, like him in the complaint department dealing with those people. That's not funny, man. There's no jokes. So we had to like come up with, had to make sure a joke or two was in in each scene, a joke, joke, but try to say, oh no, Roddy, this will be funny because Joe Pesci will come in, uh -huh. it'll be great, and you know, and. Uh, and Jennifer Jason Lee will come in here and she'll be great. Okay, you know, so it was like juggling. But we got it done. Now, were you on set when they shot it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, what's your biggest regret about the movie? Did, is there, If you could change one thing, what would it be? Uh, biggest regret about the, you mean the, 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 the way it came out? The movie or your experience or something you didn't do right? Well, I just, I just knew what, what never made it, even, not even the cutting room floor, what never made it to the actual final script. And I thought there were a couple of scenes that if they were in there, they would have been so great. And if he just would, the director was new too. It was James Signorelli who did all the, uh, in the 70s and early 80s, did all those film segments for SNL. Mm -hmm. First time directing a movie. So Rodney could kind of intimidate him. So he didn't have like that kind of, you know, uh, Scorsese kind of clout, you know. Yeah. Like, no, Rodney, we're doing it this way. Rodney would just bowl, you know, run right through him. So he would just give in a lot. So then if you tour with Rodney like two, three years, mm -hmm. um, what happened? Like, what, how'd you, because I know you tour with Carlin, mm -hmm. Joan Rivers. Like, is there a time where you have to break off? It's kind of like he said, oh, well, I've done enough for you. Go fly on your own no, type of thing. he fired me. He fired <laughs> yeah. you? 
Funny story number two. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tell me, Rodney Dangerfield fire you. Rodney was a great guy. And, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. He started me in comedy. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's get that out of the way. He was, and he was 95% fantastic. There was a 5% of him that was just crazy. And if he turned on you, he turned on you. And he turned on people, and I'm not the only one, he turned on people for ridiculous reasons. But that's, that would be So it. just turned on you, like he heard something from somebody and was just like, no. I hate this. He hated Joan Rivers because he felt that she was stealing his jokes, which she wasn't. She was a one-liner comedian, the same style. Same style, right. yeah. But she wasn't stealing his jokes. But you, once he got something in his head, yeah, she's doing me, man. She's doing my stuff. You know, she, and, you know, later on when I worked with her, I no, there's not one joke that's similar, you know. Anyway. Now, when you're working with him at that time, though, you're kind of agreeing, I would imagine, to keep your job. Don't say anything, yeah. Yeah, you're just like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Rodney, you know. Yeah. So I get a call from Jones people. Like, I'm working with Rodney for like three years already. I get a call from Jones people, from her manager, King. Hey, we hear great things about you, and uh, would you like to do 10 days with us, with Joan? I go, I don't know. I don't think I can. You know, Rodney doesn't like her. Yeah, we know that she knew, you know. So. Yeah. Well, let, let us know. Okay, but I'm going to have to say no for now. I go to Rodney the next day. I say, Rodney, yeah, Jones people called me, and I, they wanted me to work with her, and I turned them down. He goes, no, man. She guest hosts The Tonight Show. Do it. I go, are you serious? You no, know, I'm not going to hold you back. Well, thanks. So I signed a contract for the 10 gigs. Two days after that, he goes, you know, I was thinking about it. Oh. <laughs> I don't like her. I don't want you doing it. I go, but Rodney, I signed a contract. Well, you know, but I said I can't. I signed. I couldn't break the contract. Anyway, I I did the gig, and that was that was demerit number one. Mm -hmm. Demerit number two. This is the most ridiculous story you'll ever you'll ever hear. We brought our Rodney had a house in Westport, Connecticut, and we lived in Port Jefferson, which was a ferry ride across the the bay. He would summon us, me and my, my wife. Come on over. We'll write. We'll write some stuff. Okay. And you can't say no. No, you can't. Well, <laughs> you because can't. he's your employer, too. Yeah, you yeah. know? Like, right. comics, we don't have a nine-to-five schedule, right. you know? But if you're touring with somebody, if they're like, let's go eat, and you're the opening act, right. you got to go eat. Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that was the situation. We would go. We had a dog, a little poodle, and we said, can we bring our dog this time? Because she's like our kid, and we loved her. He says, yeah, okay, but don't bring her swimming in my pool. Roddy had an indoor pool okay. and a jacuzzi. No, I'm planning on bringing the dog swimming in your pool. Anyway, he goes to take a nap. My wife and I are in the jacuzzi. He's sleeping. The dog gets on the ledge of the jacuzzi, slips into the jacuzzi just as Rodney wakes up, looks through the window, sees a wet poodle, thinks that we took the poodle swimming. Oh, no. The most ridiculous. He's like yelling at us, you people are no good. You people are, yeah, how dare you? You know, no, no, Rodney, this is what happened. No, it didn't. Anyway, that was the number two. Those are the two main reasons. Apparently, he was stewing over it. New Year's Eve in Miami, we're doing, no, in Fort Lauderdale, we're doing the, um, I wish I could remember the name of the theater. It'll come to me later. The big theater, 2,000 seats. Yeah, the, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, the it's Sunrise? Right? The Sunrise. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. In between shows, he goes, I think you and I should part ways for a while. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 just, what you did with the dog and with Joan is... I went out, I, did, I was supposed to do 30 minutes, I went out, I did 20 minutes, I, I cut it short, I came out, I threw up into a wastebasket, and, uh, and that was it. <laughs> that was it, and you never saw him again? Saw him again years later, and, and he didn't remember why he was mad at me. But by that time, I was working with George Carlin. Wow. 
but he we were at the Laugh Factory, and I would do sets there all the time. And he was trying out stuff on you know, on sunrise on sunset in L.A. And hey, Dennis, how you doing? Oh, Rodney, good to see you. You know, and he was with his wife. And someone told me they overheard. <laughs> we had a nice conversation. Someone told me they overheard when I left the conversation. Someone uh, Rod- Rodney turned to his wife and said. Why am I mad at him again? <laughs> he seriously did not remember. Because I guess he was getting older. Yeah. And he actually hired me to open for him with Harry Basil. Who was oh, in, yeah. Harry yeah, Basil, yeah. Who, was, who became his opening act. And, and um, who runs the Laugh the Factory. The Laugh Factory, yes. And I did the one-off with him, and everything went great. We had a fly, private jet. He was trying to needle me on the way back. He got drunk and said, Harry, you did great. Dennis, you were okay. You know, that kind of <laughs> Yeah. And that was the last. And then they wanted me to do more. I said, well, I'm working with, with George now all the time. <laughs> and they said, oh, okay, if that's the way you want it. I mean, you know, th- we all have this one weird thing about ourselves, and that was his. He would just turn on you. It's, it's amazing that um, your story, I mean, three months in comedy game. Yeah. Five months in, you know, you're touring with Rodney Dangerfield. Right. While you're doing that, three three years later, you get a call from Joan. Right. And you did the ten dates with Joan. Now, did that lead to more dates yes, after that, Rodney let you go? That led that led to after the ten days, she said, "You want to stay on?" I said, "I don't know if I can." And uh, but after Rodney, uh, yeah, she said. Well, after you came back and the whole dog incident, how what's the time frame between? Uh, you touring with Joan and getting let go? Um, I th- it was like, probably just like a month or two. Okay, so yeah. she really, even if she was on tour, she didn't hit a bunch of dates at right, that time. Right, right. And she always used, at that time, which was the mid-80s, she was using two opening acts everywhere she went. I don't know why. There'd be an, a, mu- a comic, then a musical act of some sort, then Joan. So there'd be 50 minutes of comedy before she even hit the stage. And how long did she do? Uh, she did like an hour. Huh. So it's an hour and 50 minutes. Hmm. But the, yeah, I did two over two years with Joan. And how was that compared that was to Rodney? A lot less tense. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't, she would hang, she was like a more of a den mother. Like you'd be in Lake Tahoe. I think you know I sleep till probably noon. Yes. Yes. Don't we all? Most of us. Not me. Not I you. You're two busy. Children. I'm sorry. You're successful. That, <laughs> that's right. No. <laughs> anyway, ten to, Tahoe, we're doing a string of dates and she calls. Oh, it's Joan. Meet downstairs in 10 minutes. We're going on the boat. What? What are you talking? The boat? It's a yacht that Caesars at the time had, and we were all going water skiing. <laughs> it's okay. So downstairs, I'm like bleary-eyed. So she would get trips together, ski trips, yeah. you know, uh, hanging out a little bit, but not all the time. Didn't, want, didn't need anyone writing with her, hanging, being her close buddy. So would you say you wrote more with Rodney than Joan? Yeah, I did the movie. We did two ABC yeah. TV specials with Rodney. Wrote oh, okay. So those. you wrote a lot with yeah. Rodney. And so with Joan, you didn't really write that correct. much with her. Yeah, but she got me on The Tonight Show. She's the one that got me on The Tonight Show. Okay. So, so Rodney was correct about that. So, she, okay. So tell me about this story. So was Joan still hosting when you went on? Yes. Okay. Yes. So how long did you tour with her before, before that? Yeah. I'd say maybe a year and a half. Okay. With her. And, you know, and... Jim McCauley, who was the talent coordinator at that time, had seen me. Rodney had set up a showcase for me at the comedy store. Jim In McCauley, L.A.? Yes. Jim McCauley was there. He said, Rodney's right. You are very funny, but you can't do parodies on TV. Yeah, because they got to pay for the rights. Right. Which is another reason I make them short. Because yeah. you can get away with four bars or eight bars. Anyway, okay, you know, 
Uh, but Joan kept fighting for me and fighting for me and said, he can do public demand, he can do folk music, he can make up his own songs. So finally they gave me a shot. And so how'd it go? It went, man. I don't, have you done the Tonight Show? I know you've done no, lots no, of shows. No, no. You know what's interesting? My friend is the actual booker okay. for the Tonight Show. Michael Cox, I love him to death. Like, mm -hmm. was at his wedding, he was at mine. But, like, I have a lot of friends that have been on the show. Mm -hmm. But I don't think my comedy, and I learned more being on AGT as well. Mm -hmm. Anytime it's about race and you talk about your parents and you're doing little acts, that's where you get close to that wow. line yeah. where, okay, we don't want to offend any. Because it's a night show is usually clean, right. not offending people. Mm -hmm. And somebody could hear me do my mom and go, oh, well, I'm offended. You know, okay. so I've never been so weird and I'm not aggressively yeah. seeking it out. Yeah. And either. it doesn't it doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't days. mean the same. Right. I mean, it's still AGT great. Is huge. Yeah, yeah, it still means something. But right. it's not like when 30 million people watched. It. Right. You know what I mean? And it's mm -hmm. no knock on any late night television. It's just back then, if you were on, it could change your life. Yeah. Now it's a credit. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. yeah. But in those days, it could change your life. Yeah. So Except you, for the Tomorrow Show. Yeah. <laughs> so you went on. And went you, on. And how did it go? Uh, it went really well. Okay. I remember, I remember standing there going, you know how it is sometimes you're just out of your body. Yes. And you go, this is, this is okay. I, you know, because I was nervous as shit before. I'm going, well, if I bomb on this, that's it. You know, uh, it went really well. I, Joan called me over. And she said there wasn't enough time to talk because the audience response was really good. Was it a standing ovation? I don't, I, you can't see. I mean, oh, that okay, studio, yeah. it was like this, you know, you yeah. look into a light and I don't know. But I, it was loud. It was loud and it was a really nice ovation. And, uh, and I remember I somehow drove home that night. I don't recall how I got home. I don't, I remember getting home and going, how did I get here? Because I was like in a, in, yeah. in a daze. Yeah, I was like. On a, on, a, on a high. Is it online, your performance online? Uh, it's on my, it's, yeah, I posted on my, I found the old tape. I, I posted on my Facebook about a month. Oh, we're month gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna put that in the okay. podcast. Yeah. 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 Jenny Seymour, my next guest is a very funny man. We've worked together many, many times. He's gonna be with me and I'm lucky to have him on the bill with me at Caesars Tahoe, December 26th to January 1st. And then he goes off on his own to Resorts International, Atlantic City, January 4th, 5th and 6th. Please help me welcome Mr. Dennis Blair. How are you feeling? I knew that. I had that feeling. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Hollywood. I'm glad to be in Hollywood. I'm excited. I've written a special song about Hollywood. It took me six months to write this, but it was worth it because it says everything I feel about Hollywood. I call it Hollywood. Goes something like this. Hollywood, 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 Hollywood. Everybody, Hollywood. Oh, you've heard this. I like listening to the radio too, because I like disc jockeys on the radio. They talk so fast. I always wonder if they talk like that at home. How are you getting to work today, dear? Well, I'd like to remind myself if I'm driving the work, avoid the freeway. There's a big tie up on exit 17. <laughs> and they always ruin songs. Like if a song comes on the radio with a real long beginning, the disc jockey always talks all the way through it. <laughs> right up into where the singer comes in. So a song like Fire and Rain always winds up sounding like... <laughs> <laughs> 
70 degrees in beautiful down on the zone. Don't get on the Howard Johnson, but the gratuities are at it all. Still trying to end all. Big bumpers, secret cut. Doesn't ever clear a seal. Those acting blemishes. See you tomorrow. Have a nice day. I love you all. Take care now. Bye bye. Just yesterday morning. They let me know you were gone. Grand 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 It's so true. Thank you very much. You've been They love you, Dennis. We went over because they applauded so much. So we'll be right back at this message of interest. Please stay tuned. Now, why was Joan hosting? But give me some. It was Johnny Carson done then, or no, no, no. He would take, have a lot of guest hosts. Oh, so when he went on vacation, when he or took something. a week off or something like that. And she got you in at the yeah, time. She was. She oh. was the t- the top guest host at the time. She was the <laughs> okay. When Johnny's not here, it's Joan. Okay, so when you left the Tomorrow Show. Mm-hmm. You, I'm sure you walked around New York. Nobody noticed. Was there a difference when you did the Tonight Show? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> really? Did you? You've read Steve Martin's book? Standing no, I up? haven't. And and that's the thing. I want to read that book because every I always want to read books about comedy, and everybody mm-hmm. says start with that one. No, by the way, read Alan Zweibel's book. Okay. It's hilarious. Okay. He's such a good writer, and you, you, I think you'd like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but Steve Martin, the one thing he said is that everyone says, you know, you do The Tonight Show, you have a success, you're, you're world famous. He was on, like, 20 times. You know, he said, like, the first 10 times, no one said anything. After the 20th time or something, someone said, hey, I, I know you look familiar. So he said, no, it depends. But I guess, I so guess it's things. more of work. From, but you were touring yeah. with big. Yeah, and so I, just, it, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to do it. It was like, you know. And. You know, just quickly, my my, four, my third, I did two. My third was supposed to be with Johnny, and then she got fired. Firing is the watchword of my career. Right? <laughs> the word fire, sum up your career in one word. That's when, that's when Johnny got mad at Joan. Yes. They had a feud. What was that feud? I remember watching his documentary, mm-hmm. and he thought Joan betrayed him somehow. Yes. Yeah. And what was that about? I forgot. She... Uh, Either depending on who you listen to, uh, you know, she was she did great on that show and it became an event and, and she was really amazing at it. She thought she was in line for when Johnny retired, she'd be considered as, as the replacement. And either she someone told her or she saw a list of the possible replacements and her name was not on the list. So she she was getting wooed by. What was the network that her show was on? I forget. Was it Fox? Fox? Fox, yeah. Oh, she did her own show, right? Yes, and didn't tell again, Johnny. Whoever you believe, either didn't tell Johnny or tried to get to him but couldn't. Anyway, she took the deal. When he found out about it, didn't want anything more to do and with it. And they her. never talked for the rest of his life. Nope, nope. Never talked. For the, I mean, talk about Rodney. <laughs> Their birthdays are the same, you know. Held a grudge forever. Apparently, she called him. He picked up. Hello, hi, Johnny. It's Joan. Click. Yeah, really. Yeah, it's, it's on uh, that thing that was. Just I saw on, the document. I saw this whole the, the uh, late story of late night. Yeah, the yeah, story yeah. of and late Melissa, night. Melissa, her daughter. I mean, we knew her daughter. She wasn't even in show business then. She, she was very sweet, and uh, yeah, she said, "Yeah, that's what happened," and she was devastated. So that's what happened there. Well, I still toured with her for a while. Okay, so how? So I mean. We talked about you starting your career touring with Rodney. Then you went to Joan. Mm-hmm. And how the whole Carlin thing happened? So by that time, I, was, I got a good agent. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> but but I want to go back for a second. After the yeah. Tonight Show, mm-hmm. was your phone not ringing? Did you not have an agent? No clubs were like, we got to get you on? Because I heard that was the thing. It wasn't that you were famous. Right. It was more of every club now wanted to book you. Well, I was doing uh, more clubs. Okay. But I think people knew me as, oh, he's Rodney's guy. Oh, he's Jones' guy. He does, mm. oh, he's, you know, he, he works, he's an opening act, you know. I was, I was doing the improv, Bud Freeman at the time at yep. the improv, mm-hmm. booked me all the time. I was doing the, the, the one uh, in, in Dallas and, and uh, I think San, San Diego, yes. Uh, but I wasn't doing a lot of pl- club, club work because I was so busy with these people I was opening for. So. If this is not too invasive, like when you opened up for Rodney or mm-hmm. Joan, what was the pay in that? Pretty good. Well, <laughs> uh, Rodney paid a uh, thousand bucks a show. Wow. Joan paid two thousand a show. George was fifteen hundredths, fifteen hundred a night. So if, if you did two shows, it was the same. Oh, okay. You know, that's how you do. You know, you do. Wow. So those. you're doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. So man, those are the days. <laughs> those are the days. Yeah. So so uh, you meet George. Mm-hmm. How that how that all happened after that, Jones? So okay, so by this time I had this agent named Fred Suss who was booking me with all these. You know, the, the main people I opened for were Rodney Joan, Tom Jones for a year, then Carlin, uh, and even Gloria Estefan, who was the sweetest person in show. Business. Oh, she is so nice. Oh, is she great. I mean, she. I, you know, I lived in Miami for a while, met her. So like uh-huh. one of the sweetest people you will ever meet, and her husband. Unassuming. Like you know. oh, so great. Yeah. She she wanted me to do parodies of her songs when when I opened for her. I said, I'm like, what? Oh He'll man, kill you get me. booed all. Oh yeah, you get booed all. Come on, do goys will be goys. No, I'm not doing goys will be goys. <laughs> no, so, no, no. Yeah. Anyway, but those are the main. But but this agent would would like call me up uh, out of the blue and go, hey, you want to open for the Four Tops this weekend or next weekend? I go, yeah. So he get me all this work opening for these great people. So so let me ask you this: Did it never go through your mind where you were like, you've seen? Like this was crazy to me. You've seen success up close and personal, mm-hmm. but it seems like you were fine, like being an open and act because you were getting so much work. Mm-hmm. Did it ever occur to you? Well, I want to be that person or were you just comfortable I, like with not the responsibility of that? I think I became comfortable. Okay. Cause you know, when we were all starting out, go, oh, I'd like to go as far as we can. Oh, get a sit. You know, I moved from New York to LA cause you know, everyone was getting a sitcom. You know, my mother got a sitcom <laughs> only, only lasted a day. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But everyone's like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be the guy. I want to be Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, and all that stuff. And then I started working. I'm going, you know, I kind of like this. There's no pressure. You're the guy who comes out. I kind of enjoyed the fact that I had that I turned them around from hating me. You know, who's this kid? Who's this idiot? Oh, where's George? Where's, where's Rodney? Too like by the end. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I liked that. That was a good feeling. I, w- I will say I've middled before mm-hmm. and like opening up for Joe or some other mm-hmm. big community. And it's no pressure. You Nothing, get paid the way you were getting paid to, and you just go out and do your set. Right. And if it goes well, it goes well. If it yeah. doesn't go well, the they're there to see the headliner right. anyway. Exactly. You know what I mean? If you can make the experience better. Yeah. Great. And that doesn't bother you, right? No. Yeah. No. Exactly. So, I mean, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's different. It's a different mindset just being in the green room knowing that you have to headline. Mm-hmm. Then, because you see your your feature go out there, mm-hmm. having the time of his life. <laughs> he got the sweet spot. I tell you something. One <laughs> one big comic I toured with said, "I never bring two people. I always bring one, mm-hmm. because he says if I bring two, the middle act 
has this sweet spot mm -hmm. because everybody has gotten their drinks. Everybody has gone to the rest. Right. So the whole room is set up for this person. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that gave me the idea of just travel with one person because he goes, the person I bring, I want them to go through all the shit. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want them That's to just perfect. come in. Yeah, I want them to deal with the drink orders, want them to deal with people going to the restroom. Right. So I give them a 30, 30 minutes. Right. They got to do all the upfront. Right. So there is no sweet spot because they've gone through it all. And it actually go. makes them a better comic, too. Yes. And then you do your hour after that. So, right. And I feel like after I started doing that, people, after 30 minutes, they want to they see the guy. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And it's a better reception yeah. after one person. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and you feel good. I mean, I remember one show where it was in Reno and I opened. It was a really great crowd. And, so, and then George was supposed to come on right. And there was no intermission. Sometimes he'd have intermission, but not the casinos. Carlin, he would have, he would go right on. And for some reason, the mics went out or something like that for like two minutes. And George is going, come on, we're wasting all the energy. Dennis got for me up here. I felt, yeah. I felt good about that. I said, like, oh, good, I did my job, you know. So that was, I became very comfortable just being an opening guy. And like you said, you do your act, go back to the hotel. Yeah. Now I get to watch TV, eat the nuts. So was now it seemed like you hung out with Rodney a lot. Joan yeah. was like she would do activities here and half there. Half and half. You and George, uh, how was that? I mean, was it was it a hang or was it kind of like oh, I'll meet you at the show and then that was it and then he went his way and you went your way. He was he was the great thing about George. He's a hermit. He was a hermit, up in his room probably writing. He loved writing, constantly working, so, but a great guy and a funny guy. Remember, before, I hadn't met it when I when my agent said, "Do you want to open for George Carlin for three months?" And I said yes. Immediately, and I hung up and I went, you know, but he he seems so angry on the. I don't know if he's nice. You know, it's like you know, yeah, you famous don't know. people. You never know. They're you don't know. assholes. So I'm I'm traipsing around my room downstairs at the theater in Omaha, and I hear the door open upstairs, the state door, and all I hear is Carlin's voice going, "Dennis, where the fuck are you?" I'm going, "Oh, this is a good sign." <laughs> <laughs> Dennis would never met me. Where the fuck are you? Down here. And he comes in and he's like taking my deli tray apart. And he's going, what are you, carrots? What are you, a goat? And like we'd known each other forever. And then after five minutes, he goes, okay, so we'll be watching us. So have a good show. Don't fuck up, you prick. And he leaves going, I'm liking this already. And that was your first show with First him. show. Now the pressure's Where on. Where was that at? This was the uh, 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 Omaha, Nebraska, Orpheum Theater. Omaha. And he was already huge at that point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was like legendary by that. Even you know by then, and and the good thing about these people I work with, they've all, I love them. I mean, Roddy was a great comic. Joan, I loved George though, way yeah. up there, you know. So I didn't want to suck. Luckily, it went well enough that they kept me for the three months because I I figured I could be fired tonight if they don't. Now, did me. you ever feel like you were gonna get fired that first? Did you ever have just an awful show at the? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I never, I didn't have an, any awful shows, but I had a few that were just, yeah. you know. The, the, uh, did, ever, did you ever remember him sliding you a comment like, yeah, not too great tonight. Like, no, you know what he'd always say? How are they? Uh, he, he never blamed me. Because by, by that time, he was like, he knew that I could do the job. So if it was, he, he felt that I was, you know, it was them. I, I hear a lot of comics sometimes say it's the crowd, and I hear different angles on this. You know, like, what's your angle? Is it always the comedian's fault and they just didn't read the room right? Or sometimes it's the crowd. And sometimes it is the, I mean, you know. I agree. Sometimes you're not, in, you're not at your best. Sometimes you're not firing on all your cylinders. Yeah. But luckily, it would never, I never felt that, oh, shit, this is where I'm going to get, you know, yeah. go. But I'm, I'm asking you, like, for instance, 
when a crowd doesn't respond to your act mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And maybe they've done that for every act that night. A lot of comics go, well, no, it's your job to turn them around. So, so is it sometimes a crowd or is it all the responsibility if, is on the comic? I think if the, re if the crowd's not reacting to everybody on yeah. the show, I don't think it's the yeah. comic. So, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, but some people just stuck yeah. in there. It's always the comedian, no, it's never no, the crowd. No, no. Like, okay, okay. And, you know, I mean, if you're a professional, you do what you have to do and, you know, read the crowd and sometimes you just have to give up. Yeah. I, I did, I did, uh, I don't know if you've ever done warm up for sitcoms. No, no. <sighs> Is it the worst? There are guys who are really good at it. Uh huh. <laughs> but you can't just be a comic. You have to be a. I mean, I, I guarantee you, Mark Cohen's great at it. Oh, I bet. Like, yeah, Mark bet. Cohen is yeah. one of the funniest people. But play, with playing off a crowd, you know, there's. Jesus, I, I, I watch him every night. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Like, yeah. that, he's so quick yeah. and witty, but, you know, he's like that offstage, too. Right. Like, he's yeah. nonstop. And I think it takes that to be able to. My, my wife says he thinks and jokes. He does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has no just straight thoughts. Right. They right. have to have some type of twist or yes. turn in them. Yeah. It's just, yeah, he's, he's the best. But the guys like that, that can, that are great with crowds, but not only with, you know, doing that, but you, you're there for like three hours at least. Yeah. So you have to like give away gifts and you have to do trivia contests and talent contests and all that stuff. And if the audience hates you, that's three hours. And I did. What show did you warm up for? Well, George had a sitcom. Oh, yeah. Warmed up for that. That went fine. But the producer of that also was the producer of Drew, the Drew Carey show. Ah. That was the first season. And that went okay, but there was one audience where I couldn't, I couldn't buy a laugh. No matter what. And not only I get left, I would do a joke, punchline, this would be it. No, 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 no. Punchline. Oh. They would say that. <laughs> Stuff that I've done for years, you know. And finally, Drew comes out and he's setting up. The guy yells out, Drew, help us. Help us with this, please. And Drew came and he got laughs and it was like the worst experience of my life. So, yeah, there have been moments like that where you go, I guess my act expired. <laughs> you know what's so funny like you hear at comics is you're only good as your last act right. so even if you have a bad set you got to get up again yes right like, away like a pitcher yeah right away yeah. right away mm -hmm. so george carl you stayed with him for 18 years yeah right like what was your best experience of that there was now he traveled the world though didn't he no well if he if didn't he, either if he did he didn't tell me oh wow I we did he, canada we did the states but he never did like europe or anything like why that. why are the was that not a thing back then I to go know. overseas? Maybe he wasn't interested. I mean, I never asked him, why aren't you going over? I just, hey, give me the dates. <laughs> yeah. And his manager would give me the dates and okay, I'll be there. You know, uh, don't know. I'm sure he would have done great. Huh. You know who did great in uh, England? Who? Jackie Mason. Really? But he would go. I'm he sure would. any American comic that was in the height of the game right. going to Europe would be huge. Right, right. But no, not, not George. He didn't. But we did, you know, he did 150 dates a year. 150. Now, what was the biggest difference in him when you started with him at the beginning, year one to 18 in him? Uh, he was consistent. There weren't, he didn't change. I mean, you know, he would do a new show every two, two years because mm -hmm. he would do a new HBO special every two years. So he would be working, he would do one HBO special, then he would start working on his next one. But he wouldn't do what Louis C.K. did. He wouldn't throw out the whole act. Mm -hmm. So it would get kind of weird sometimes because he'd still have most of his old act from the previous two years and people would come and go, He's, he did that last year, you know? So he wasn't, he would turn it over eventually. Yeah. So that's the way he worked on that. Uh, but as far as, do you mean what was, how did it? How like did his, it, his personality, his attitude is, is it kind of like I'm over this? I've been doing this for so long. Because let me tell you, I, 
George Carlin, I've seen some of his stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not like fluent in George Carlin. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know him to a degree. I've seen mm -hmm. some of his specials. But it seems like at the end of the, his career, mm -hmm. he was just angry. The very end. The very, that's what I'm talking about. The very end, just angry. And that's only because he was sick and nobody knew it. Uh, he was suffering. He was, okay. he was, his health was deteriorating. And he didn't tell anybody eventually. We were, we were all going, because, you know, the first, eight, the first 18 years was, um, what's happening? You know, amazing. He, he, would, he, would, he could be angry on stage and then come back and just like, you know, we, we'd do Jerry Lewis impersonations with, with each other. <laughs> and I could make him double over like doing uh, James Mason doing The Sound of Music. And he was just goofy off stage. So we had great, we, we would do a lot of drives to, to gigs. Oh, really? And we would just have these great car conversations. And they were, they were beyond R-rated. I mean, you know, I mean, I could tell you one of them. <laughs> we would set up these premises. You can edit this if you need to. Okay. We would set up these premises, like we would play these games in the car going back from the gig. And we'd come up with like, uh, celebrities who you think have the bushiest pubic hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe he came up with Rhea Perlman. Oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, but things like that. It yeah. made no sense. Um, uh, and we would de declare a winner, and usually it would be George, and deservedly so. Uh, but once I won one, and it was, what do you think were Kennedy's last words? Oh. <laughs> and I said, why is my head whistling? Oh. You going to edit that one? You going to edit that no, one out? we're going to keep it in, because you <laughs> said it, not I me. I said it. Okay, good. And I'm not laughing at a straight oh. face. Okay. Yeah, it was a horrible, a tasteless joke, right, Michael? Tasteless. And they said, Dennis, you win that one. There you go. Yeah. So those so, are the kind of stupid, ridiculous times we so had. So do you feel like George used you as kind of a, like he would throw out premises of jokes on stage, and y'all would go back and forth on? No. Nope. Or he wasn't that? He nope. was just being in his room. The only thing, and I was very, very happy and very pleased with myself he needed a tag for a joke and he couldn't come up with it and it was a joke about people fornicating naked in front of the statue of and he couldn't come up with the statue huh. imagine a place where all these people fornicating naked in front of the statue of and i said larry flint and he went that's it thank you so i gave him that that solution and there was one other which i'm forgetting oh george what if there was this was just a conversation we had in the car what if there was an, a classical musician who wrote symphonies that were better than Beethoven and, and, and Mozart and Haydn combined, and you couldn't ignore him? But what if his name happened to be, and he finished my sentence, El Canto Priccolini. <laughs> <laughs> so if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't have come up with that punchline, but I gave him the premise. But other than that, in his room, never see him during the day, which was great because look what happened with Rodney. I was hanging with him every minute. Yeah. Two or three after three years, I'd said the wrong thing. Yeah. Apparently. So with George, great. We have great times in the car and, 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 and he, he we go to the hotel, he disappears. I do my thing. He Did does you, his thing. were you the only act that opened for him? Yes. I was exclusive for 18 so, years. So, but what I'm saying is just a two man show. Mm -hmm. So how long would you do before he went on? Usually 20 for the casinos. It was, 27 minutes. Okay. I don't know where they got that number. Uh-huh. On the road, it was 30. Now, at the casinos, is it the same as now? They wanted to show over in like an hour and 10 yes. minutes to get people back to the casino. Right. Okay. Right. That's why I had to get off in 27 minutes. And he would do like 50 then? Oh, he'd do an hour at least. An hour? Yeah, so we'd do it. It would be an hour and 27-minute show. Okay. And they also, he had, I also opened for him when he did his, his um, specials at the Beacon Theater. 
and they were live. So they said, you'll be off. <laughs> you'll be off a minute before George comes on. And I like it, the temptation. I'm not coming off. <laughs> it's live? Did you say it's live? I'm not coming off. But I did. I How'd you do boy. during the live show? Usually well. Yeah. You know, some, one, one, one or two of them for the Beacon, they just wanted so to see all their So all of his specials you opened up for well, pretty much. Well, the last bat. Yeah, the ones at the Beacon Theater, which were the last three or four that I think I did. I, it's yeah. pretty amazing. I mean, have you ever, have you come, just thought like everything you've experienced in comedy? I mean, it's pretty, like I'm sitting here just, it's crazy. And it's, yeah, I'll go, this is, I, this couldn't have possibly happened. I keep thinking my mother's going to wake me up and going, it's time for school. You're going to be late for seventh grade. Oh, it was all a dream, I say. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, and I didn't have to go through the, the shit in New York about lining up a Catch a Rising Star. Yeah. And in those days, you had to take a number and get there like eight hours before the show. I, I, I lucked out. I just did Dangerfields because it was four blocks away. So, so how do you like doing comedy today? Because uh, Cellar is great because it's like more of a showcase where mm -hmm. – like everybody does 15 minutes right. and everybody usually crushes here. Mm -hmm. So how do you like doing comedy today? Uh, I'm, you know, after the, before the pandemic, I was having a great time. And there's, I only do clubs that I really like now. Yeah. That I feel comfortable in. Cause I don't know how I would do, you know, certain, I don't know how I would do, you know, in, in some of these clubs where, you know, it's a younger, I mean, not that I do, not, not that I do an old act, but yeah, a lot of it's classic rock. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but when we came back and I started getting booked here again, I was scared. I'm going, yeah. you know, well, I hadn't done, you know, going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just said, all right, bite the bullet. And, um, and I've had a great time so far. And um, doing 15 minutes is really nice because you just, oh, they can't, they can't get sick of you. <laughs> no, no, unless you're really bad that night. Then yeah. they can get sick. Of you. And I'm looking forward to my other favorite club um, is well, there's the Laugh Factory in Reno, and there's a club in Sarasota called McCurdy's. Uh huh. And you do as long as you want. I do. I do over an hour there, and it's a mixed audience. It's young and old. And it, before the pandemic, it was going great. I'm I'm assuming it's not not much is going to change. So doing the cellar here in Vegas has made me feel calm again. You feel, you feel? I feel okay. I guess I'm still okay. Okay. Yeah. What um, like. When you do, you travel a lot, or is it more of it's just a seller? Like, what do you do? A lot of local gigs. What brought you to Vegas? Uh, we lived in LA for 25 years. My kids, we brought our kids up there. The schools were great where we lived. In, in uh, what part of LA? Uh, thousand, well, I, West Hollywood. Then we moved okay. to Studio City. Then we moved. Then we moved to Thousand Oaks because the schools were great. Mm -hmm. kids. Once our kids uh, not only were out of school, but um, where, you know, want, had moved out to, and found places. And we said, I don't need to play, pay, uh, pay these property taxes anymore. No. And we'd been coming to Vegas since 1980. All of our friends were here already. Because, you know, with, between George doing 12 weeks a year here for like 20 years and uh, Rodney before, we knew everyone here. So he said, let's just move to Vegas. Yeah, I, you know, I just moved here. Like, L.A. is such a shit show right I now. Guess. Like homeless problem mm -hmm. when you pay all these high taxes the government's not using it the right way mm -hmm. it's just it's just ridiculous uh, right now and, and how and, are the clubs and, there i mean i used to do laugh factory i i do laugh Factory. i'm yeah. like i'm up there uh in a couple days i'm gonna do laugh factory and then i'm doing the comedy store so that's that's the place now right the comedy store. oh the comedy store is the place just yeah. like the cellar in new york and mm -hmm. gotham up there like mm -hmm. i i love those two clubs gotham 
is actually in New York. They're the first people to actually put me on the map. Like they mm -hmm. invested in me like eight years ago. Chris up there. Nice. Uh, he was like, I think you're going to be a star. And, you know, it's great now being able to be in this fraternity where you go to New York and you can bounce around all their clubs and then I can go to Gotham, do a set. Right. So I'm excited that things are opening up mm -hmm. for me in New York City. Great. But when I go to L.A., yeah, I'll just do improv, mm -hmm. Laugh Factory and um, the Comedy Store. You know, they have three clubs, which in Vegas, there's a lot of clubs. I right. mean, smaller rooms, big rooms and stuff like that. So there's a lot of options, mm -hmm. I feel. So, right. you know, okay. yeah. yeah, trying to work it out. Nice. And you live here now, so. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Right. living here is the best. There you go. It's there, cheap. Uh, yep. No. So, oh, and you wrote a book, didn't you? Back yes, I did. Tell me about this book that well, you wrote like 20 years ago. Well, if you, if, you, if you watch the podcast, you don't have to buy the book. No, yeah. it was, it's, it's these stories and more. It's about anything funny or interesting that happened opening for or headlining a club. How long did the book come out? The book's been out for about three months. No, I'm sorry. October. Oh, so it's recent. Yeah, it's recent. It's about oh, okay. six months, five, So what's the months. name of the book? So it's called Touring get... with Legends. Touring with Legends. So it's the Rodney stories, and there's a lot of them in there. A lot of George stories, a lot of Jones stories, Tom Jones, and, and you know, Gloria Estefan. Yeah. Uh, anything that happened, not just and just regular stuff that it, that's interesting, that somebody, a reader who doesn't, not into comedy necessarily, would go, oh, that's pretty funny, you know, opening for Shirley Bassey. And yeah. The, the horror stories are all in there. <laughs> okay, okay. Play us a song out. Uh, man, I appreciate you being on the pod. Oh, this was fun. Thanks yeah. for having me Could on. Could you play a song out? What, you want a funny song? Or you this, could do the theme song again. You could do whatever okay. you want. This I'm is your do, time. Whatever you want. I'm going to do, I have, a, I have a slight regional hit. Okay. With this song. This, okay. is, a, this is a song that when I do it, I, this song has fans. Okay. I love it. It's called, uh, I'm Thinking of Being a Catholic Again. Okay. Okay. You asked me for this. I did. I'm thinking of being a Catholic again. I've been a lapsed one since I don't know when. But I still can remember happier times then. I'm thinking of being a Catholic again. Maybe I'll take in a high mass or two. Try to join in on some hymns I once knew Cause I think that it might be the right thing to do So I'm thinking of being a Catholic again I'm just a member of the human race I need salvation, redemption and grace And that Jesus, he's got it all over the place so I'm thinking of being, I'm thinking of being, I'm thinking of being a Catholic again. Cause I'm sick of self-help books and psychology. Blaming my childhood and my family. And my shrink has become too expensive for me. So I'm thinking of being a Catholic again. Maybe it's time I no longer resist. Wondering daily if God does exist Because what if why take a chance that he's here and he's pissed I'm thinking of being a Catholic again I lie awake late at night in my bed Thinking of people I'd like to see dead But if I were Catholic I'd love them instead 
So I'm thinking of being, I'm thinking of being, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking of being a Catholic again. I've been a lapsed one since I don't know when, and I still have my card, I just need to sign in. So I'm thinking of being a Catholic again, Ave Maria, past the sangria. Cause I'm gonna be a Catholic again. Amen. Dennis Blair, everybody. Thank you so much Thank for being you, on sir. the podcast. All right. I should be excommunicated any day. Yes, now. you will. Before you leave, anything yeah. you want to plug before you get out of here? Well, yes. Well, you can always keep up with where I am, okay. where I'm doing professionally uh, on Facebook, which is my favorite, Dennis Blair. And uh, my website is DennisBlair.com. And Instagram is Denny Blair, and uh, Twitter is something. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is garbage Twitter now. Is nobody, yeah, yeah, nobody yeah, cares about Twitter yeah, anymore. So, but yeah, but that's yeah, and the, the, so the, so those are all the all the places you can uh, locate my stupidity. All right, well, thanks for uh, checking out the Yo Show today, and I appreciate you. Huh? Thanks, thank you.